Praise the Lord. Sometimes when I prepare a message, I know it's exactly what God wants me to say. Sometimes I don't know if it's exactly what God wants me to say. <clears throat> and sometimes the message can make me feel anxious when I have to deliver it because it's a tough message. And the, or part of this message is, is that way for me. Every soldier has battle gear. And as I said last week, at least one weapon. Fortunately for us, we have more than one weapon. We have the Word of God, the, the sword of the Spirit, as we learned last week. But we also have prayer. Prayer isn't given a, an armor label. Just, we're just instructed to pray always. As we observed last week, we know that these weapons of our warfare are not against those physical things. They're in the spiritual realm. Prayer is used for defense and offense, just the same as God's Word. This is a defensive weapon, and it's also an offensive weapon. Prayer is the same way. As it's written in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We know that there is spiritual wickedness in high places. And we, as believers, are in a battle with those spiritual forces of evil. Whether we like it or not, whether we believe it or not, we are. And sometimes this causes a great tension in the body of Christ. Because some people believe one thing, and other people believe another thing, and that brings that tension. There's no better way to battle in the spiritual realm than with prayer. Believers use prayer along with the Word of God to stand and not run. To stand in the conflict as we serve our King, who is the King of all kings, who is the ruler of all rulers, who is the authority over all authorities. I want us to read the instruction. We're just going to read one passage of Scripture. We have read Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, 10 through 19 at various times in this series of messages. We have read that whole section of Scripture. We're going to just read one verse, Ephesians 6, 18. And if you'd like to open your Bibles, I can pause for a moment, or we can just read it up on the screen because we, were, we are going to have it up there. As it's written, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. The people of God are the saints that are spoken of here. The people of God who are alive on this planet require prayer. Yours truly is not exempt from that need. I need your prayers. Making supplication to our Creator. 
is asking him for his favor. It's equal to begging for his kindness and mercy. He owes us nothing. He owes us absolutely nothing. And yet, his word instructs us to ask. He's superior to us. But yet he instructs us to ask him for what it is that we need. And we're to ask him to respond to our requests. Lord, we need your help. Please respond to our prayers. In the Spirit, in that phrase there, in that passage that we just read, some would say that means that you're praying with another language. But if you look at the root words, it doesn't mean that at all. That could be put into it, but what it means is we, being filled with the Spirit, are praying with the Spirit, in the Spirit, in the spiritual realm. We are in prayer when we are in prayer, excuse me, we are in prayer in the spiritual realm. And we are to pray in the Spirit continually. The Holy Spirit is full of inside of us. The Holy Spirit that we're to be possessed with is the Holy Ghost. Spirit-filled believers are possessed by the Holy Spirit, and none other. And then the word watching, there's the instruction to be attentive, vigilant, and alert. Now, I'm not going to bring all those definitions with the meanings and all that because they're this big, some of the definitions for those words. And you've got to go through the definition to find the context of this particular passage to see what it is that it means. And I've done that. So I kind of took a shortcut because it would take us a half an hour to get through all those definitions. But this is not the only instruction for us to pray that's found in God's Word. It's not the only instruction. In fact, probably the most famous one, or most uh, known, well-known, would be found in First or 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. And that's sometimes difficult. Whenever we're in tough situations, it's hard for us to say thank you. It's hard for me. I know that. For this he goes on to say, is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That we would, in fact, rejoice always. That we would always pray without ceasing. That we would, in everything, give thanks. This is the will of God for all of us. And sometimes when I look at the world stage and I see the things that are going on, it's tough for me to give thanks, folks. But he tells us to do so. In Colossians chapter 4, it's written, Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. We're to give thanks as we pray. Thank you, Father. Thank you for all the goodness that you give to us. Thank you for our daily bread. Thank you that we have roofs over our head. Thank you for this meeting house where we can gather in relative safety. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. It may not always be so. In Philippians chapter 4, it's written, be anxious for nothing. And you know what, folks? Today I became anxious. I confess my sin. 
the Scripture says, be anxious for nothing. For nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. Do you see the answer to anxiety is peace, right? And where does that come from? God. Exactly. He says, prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Don't let it get to you. As tough as that is, and I'm living proof that it's tough sometimes. In Romans chapter 12, it's written, Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints given to hospitality. These are instructions, and yet they are also marks of believers. And one of those is continuing steadfastly in prayer. Do we pray every day? Or do we just pray whenever things aren't looking so good? We need to be praying every day. We need to be praying continually. In Acts chapter 6, it's written, <clears throat> and this one applies directly to me, Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. You see, there was this stuff that was going on, and they were having some trouble in the early church. And the apostles, they were having trouble keeping up with all the trouble. And so they said, pick out seven guys to give you a hand. Help with this work, with the work that needs to be done. And I think it's appropriate that we're going to have a work day in on the 21st of May. If anybody wants to help, of course, you're welcome to help. But the apostle goes on to say, we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. It's tough for me to be praying when I'm mowing a mow uh, pushing a mower around cemetery graves and hoping not to run somebody's flowers over. There's times when I'm praying, oh God, please don't let me run anybody's flowers over. It was out in the rain for four hours the other day because somebody complained about the cemetery not being mowed. And I was pushing a mower to get around the graves because you can't go with the big mower. I praise God for John Myers who loaned me a six-foot, 72-inch cut, zero-turn mower, and I was able to get all the big stuff done rapidly within just a couple of hours, three hours I think it was. It usually takes eight hours. So I praise God for that. Now we'll move on. Luke chapter 21 and verse 36 instructs us to watch, therefore, and pray always. This is our Lord speaking. Pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things which will come to pass. He said all these things are going to happen, but pray that you'll be worthy to escape them and to stand before the Son of Man. The world's not going to get better. That's what he's telling us. Things are going to happen that are going to make you very uncomfortable. I think we're on the precipice of some really uncomfortable things. Luke chapter 18, it's written that he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. And then he gives them this parable, okay? And I'm going to read the parable to you because it's important that you understand what he's saying. He said, there was a certain 
In a certain city, a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. You didn't believe in God, and he didn't care about people, okay? Now, there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward, he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And he said, hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect to cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? That's one of the most frightening things I think he ever said. I think it's more frightening than him telling that there will be a hell to pay for the sins of humankind. I think this is the most frightening thing because he said, will he? Suggesting that it's possible that he would not find faith on the earth. It causes me great concern. This is why I preach as hard as I do, because I want you to be faithful. I want you to stand before him with clean hands. I want you to stand before your creator when that day comes and you can say, yes, Lord. And he says, welcome my good and faithful servant. The instruction to pray always is based in the teaching of the one that we call Jesus. He's the one we call Lord. He's the one we call our Savior. This is a command that provides believers with spiritual protection. Pray always is for our good. It's for our benefit that we pray. Not just to get a glass of water when we're thirsty. I praise God for the water that I get to drink. I praise God that He provides it. You know, for a time there, there wasn't any bottled water to be found. I couldn't find a bottle of distilled water. I was drinking everything but water. I love water. I would drink water all the time. I prefer water over anything else. And I praise God for that. But it's for our benefit that we pray. It's for our benefit. It provides us spiritual protection. And not only that, God responds to our prayers. Sometimes He says yes. Sometimes He says no. And sometimes He says wait. We don't like that one. We don't like the no and the wait. Because we want it now. In Matthew chapter 6, it's written, when... When, when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. When they pray, they like to be seen praying. There are times whenever we're going to be seen praying. Say we're sitting at a meal and we pray. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about making a practice of praying so people see you and give you accolades for your much praying. When you pray, you shall not be like those hypocrites, for they love to pray. Standing in the synagogues, on the corner of the streets, they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your room. When you've shut your door, pray to your Father who's in the secret place He's talking spiritually now. 
and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they'll be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. And you will hear me say that when I say, let us pray. God tells us He knows what we need, but He still tells us to ask. Why? It's a participation We participate in the process. We are relying on Him. We are worshiping Him in prayer. We're showing Him. We see Him as superior to us. We are begging and entreating His favor. He wants us to worship Him. And He says, in this manner, therefore, pray. And and I want you all to pray along with me. Our Father... In heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And we get so used to praying, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It's like we're in a race to say it. And you'll hear me sometimes when we pray it out in the congregation, I will deliberately pray slow. And force us to think about what we're praying. Because we've all been taught to pray that prayer. And someone's, okay, get through that part, and then we'll go to the next part. What's next? And I'm not criticizing anybody, folks. I want you to think about what you're praying whenever you pray, as our Lord instructed us to pray. In John chapter 16, it's written, In that day, you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, He will give you. Are we asking the Father in His name? We've got to think about what is His name. What is His name? What's written in the Scripture is not the name that He was given. It's not. When you look at the root words, you say, okay, His name was not Jesus. There was no G even in our, or J in our language until the 1700s. It was Yah. 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 Like Yahweh. Yahovah. Yahshua. Yahashua. And when we think about that, we're asking in His name, He says the Father will answer us. He'll give you what you ask in His name. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. And he's talking to his disciples right then and there, asking you will receive that your joy may be full. God wants us to be joyful. Do you see that in his word? He wants us to be joyful. In John chapter 16, and verse 27, it's written, For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from God. He came forth from God, you know that, you believe that, God wants you to be joyful because of that belief. In Matthew chapter 7, it's written, Ask, 
and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. Do you know when it says ask, it's ask and keep asking. Just like the widow that went to the judge. Ask and keep asking. Ask and keep asking. Ask, and it will be given to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you if his son asks for bread will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish will give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, and he's talking to his disciples, if you, being evil, know how to good, give good gifts to your children, how much more? Will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? If we know how to take care of our children, and we are by Christ children of God, will He not give us what is good for us? He says He will. We just need to ask. We need to be those who ask. James Chapter 4, it's written, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. And you'll hear me say that one very frequently also as we pray. You don't have because you don't ask. God says ask. I think being out in that rain the other day got me a little bit <clears throat> throaty here. You fight in war and you don't have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss. In other words, you're asking it the wrong way. You're asking so that you can spend things on your own pleasure. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? In other words, you... You're a friend with the world, you're an enemy of God. That's what he says. Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. I don't want to be an enemy of God. Do you want to be an enemy of God? I was an enemy of God. I know what happens to God's enemies. It's only by His grace that I wasn't destroyed. The enemy of souls tried to destroy me. And now God has me back. By now, most or maybe all of you have heard about the leaked report from the Supreme Court saying they're going to decide to stop abortion. Last Monday, Judge Alito's 98-page opinion favoring the overturning of the 1973 Wade, or excuse me, Roe v. Wade decision was published by a news source, and immediately somebody sent me a text with that information, saying, please pray that this is so, that is true. And I get so many texts, I prayed, Lord, let your will be done. Just a quick prayer, your will be done. Now, I know it's God's will that we would not abort children. If, it upheld, if it's upheld, it would pave the way for 22 states to ban abortions. They've already got it in the works. The court has since said that that draft doesn't represent the court's final view. It could change. And it's almost like somebody's trying to make it change. They have a, an opinion, 
They're working on that opinion because of a particular case in one of the states. And they're reviewing all of the evidence and they're saying, this should stop. And then somebody says, no, we don't want it to stop. No. The enemy of souls doesn't want it to stop. The enemy of souls wants to continue having people sacrifice their children to all the things that they sacrifice them to. And so they leak this report to try to stop it from happening. That's what they're doing. My opinion. Let me state that. I'm not accusing anybody of anything. You don't even know who it was that leaked the report. But I pray Almighty God is glorified in it. Regardless of who did it or why they did it, the leak could change the majority opinion. That would be a terrible thing. There are people that have been praying, some likely since 1973, that this would be overturned. It'd be a terrible thing. It would be a blow. It would be an assault against the prayers of the faithful. If affirmed, overturning Roe versus Wade could spark violence. <clears throat> we don't know that it will, but we don't know that it won't. True believers understand God's Word stands firmly against abortion. It's absolutely clear. God creates life. Nobody else is permitted to take it for any reason. In Jeremiah 1.5, it's written, Before I formed you in the womb. Who formed Jeremiah in the womb? This was God speaking to Jeremiah. Who formed him in the womb? Almighty God. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. He knew you in the womb. He knew me in the womb. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. He tells Jeremiah, before you were born, your path was set. How many of God's prophets have been murdered in the womb? How many of His preachers have been murdered in the womb? How many of His people have been killed before they took their first breath? God have mercy. In Job chapter 31, it's written, Did not He who made me in the womb make them? In other words, all the others. Did not the same one fashion us in the womb? In Psalm 139, verse 13, it's written, You formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. All of this gives credit to God for the creation of children in the womb. In Genesis 25 and verse 23, it is written, And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. Not only are human beings born 
in the womb, created by God in the womb. So are nations. We may not overlook that. How many nations, how many leaders of nations, we'll say, have been aborted? How many of our nation's leaders have been abortion? You know, our Congress, some Congress people stood up recently, and they were proudly exclaiming how they were part of the abortion care in this country. They stood up and they said, we've had abortions. Not just women, men. Congress people. And I suspect the reason they're doing that is to try to draw people into their position that this is necessary. It must happen. It must continue. We can't stop. Because after all, there will be backyard abortions, back alley abortions, like there used to be. And God forbid, I pray that doesn't happen. That's not at all what I would want. In Ecclesiastes 11, in verse 5, it's written, And do you not know what is in the way of the wind, or how, excuse me, as you do not know what is in the way of the wind, or how the bones grow in the womb of her who is with child, so you do not know the works of God who makes everything. Who makes everything? God makes it. God makes everything. God makes everything. Everything. There's no exclusions there, except Babies in the womb. No. Because he says here, you don't know how the bones grow in the womb of her who is with child. So you don't know the works of God who makes everything. Those who stand opposed to life, they don't know the God who makes everything. Even though true believers accept the Word of God as the final say on killing unborn children, false believers push for abortion. There are people within what is called the Christian church who are pushing for abortion. They're led by false shepherds. They use every falsehood possible to justify this, what God calls, abomination. Millions of mothers have participated in the church Christ founded has declined as a result. I grew up in the city of Pittsburgh, and there were churches on every corner. And in my 20s and 30s, I started seeing these church buildings become empty, dwindling down. When we attended service, the service was in Latin, and the building was full. Nobody could understand a word that the guy was saying, but the building was full. And as I aged, I saw those buildings going empty, and then I saw them either being torn down or converted to things like bars and restaurants and nightclubs, art galleries. And we're starting to see that in our community. Church buildings are closing. Some are just hanging on by a thread because they've got a bank account that's sitting there paying the bills with a half a dozen people that meet every Sunday morning calling themselves the church. They won't evangelize. They won't go out and ask someone else to attend services. They won't take a stand in the kingdom of God for those souls that are lost. I believe Almighty God's leading us to pray continually 
that this legalized wholesale killing of unborn children be stopped. I believe God is calling us to that as the body of Christ. I think it's part of our role. We need to, God, please make this stop. Simple prayer. God, please make this stop. It's estimated 63 million babies have been aborted since 1973. I was 15 years old then. I have known people who have had abortions. I went into an abortion clinic one time with someone who would not change their mind. I tried to change their mind, but they wouldn't change their mind. And I went in, and I watched the procedure. I was told not to. You can't watch, the doctor said. Turn your head, he said. But I refused. I watched the women as they went in, smiling and laughing and jesting and carrying on. And then after the procedure, not one of them came out laughing and smiling and carrying on. And I knew with certainty that they knew they had taken a life. I knew it. I took notes. They had little heart-shaped paper things. I don't know what became of those notes. I have them somewhere. And I wrote notes as I was sitting there in the waiting room. I wrote notes throughout the process and then after the process. I wrote notes because I had such strong emotions. I didn't want to hurt anybody. I wanted to love these people. I wanted to show them that there's some way, somehow, what they're doing is wrong and they need to come to the realization of it. But I couldn't. I was helpless. I was an observer. All I could do was watch. I understand that women and men will continue to rid themselves of unwanted children because they refuse to stop sinning. Some sins committed in the act of procreation. Adultery and fornication are popular sins today. Very sanitized. Turn on television. All you have to do is turn on a TV. And you'll be programmed to fornicate and become an adulterer. It's everywhere. So that's how it's happening. More probably now so than ever before because of the ease at which people can hook up, as it's called today. I'm not talking about committed couples, folks. And I'm not going to get into the whole idea of marriage and all that stuff, okay? Commitment makes the difference. But you know, smartphones and the internet, social media, they've taken over where soap operas left off. Soap operas used to be the way that people were programmed into doing this because everybody was doing it on television. There's lots of people that commit the sin of abortion because of financial reasons. At least that's what they use. They justify it because they say they can't afford the medical expenses or the cost of raising a child or maybe another child. You've already got two. We already have three. We already have four. We already have five. I have eight children, by the way. One's with the Lord. Didn't come to full term. Wasn't able to. Chris wasn't able to bring that one to full term. Some don't want to derail their education or their career. After all, they're on track. I applaud education. But I don't applaud sin. 
Others choose abortion for medical reasons. Some because of advanced testing. The doctor predicts that this child is going to be diseased or deformed. They advise an abortion. Chris's family had a high incidence of, uh, what do they call that? I forget what it's called now. Anyway, there was concern when our first child was conceived that he might carry this disease. He might be diseased. And the doctor said, all we're going to do is take some amniotic fluid and we're going to tell you whether or not he is, and then you can decide whether or not you want to keep him. And we said, no. No, we're not going to do that. And since then, I've read different and varying reports about whether or not that even causes. That could itself cause disease. But we're not going to go there. It's not what the message is about. Others choose abortion because they have medical conditions that might stop them from carrying the child to full term. Doctor says, you can't carry this baby. Not going to make it. Some kill unwanted children because of incest and rape. Now, Rosalie gave me permission, true or false, Rose? Rosalie gave me permission to share the fact that she is a victim of both incest and rape, and she bore a child as a result of it. She did not abort. Can we praise God? She kept her daughter. Her sister Mary helped her raise Kathy. Kathy attended services here until about a year ago whenever she passed away from cancer. Next week marks a year, right, Rose? You know, adoption agencies have loving parents that want to adopt. We can pray continually for more children to be connected with parents who will lovingly raise them. We can also pray for finances to pay for medical expenses. But I know there are unscrupulous people in this world. And I know some of them will have medical educations and some of them will continue to help those who want to get rid of their children no matter if the law is for it or not. I also know that as we celebrate Mother's Day this year, we must pray fervently for God's favor in this matter. There was a famous preacher who once said, he who passively accepts evil is as much involved in it as he who helps to perpetrate it. He who accepts evil without protesting against it is really cooperating with it. His name was Martin Luther King Jr. He wasn't talking about abortion. He also said, there comes a time when silence becomes betrayal. He said some other things like that also. Let's not betray the unborn children. Let's not betray the most vulnerable. 
Though we might not know a mother who is hell-bent on abortion, we can petition Almighty God to change her heart. We can ask God to pour His Spirit upon her. We can pray, too, that the United States Supreme Court rules in favor of overturning Roe v. Wade. We can pray that God hears the cries of the millions of dead children. As I said, 63 million is the number estimated to have been aborted since 1973. We can pray for the mothers who feel trapped by pregnancy, and I would suggest to you that that is where we really need to focus prayer. Regardless of the reason, and I know there are some who will go forward with abortion no matter what, because of adultery, for example. We can pray for them and come alongside of them and we can help them. We can be the hands and feet of Christ. As I wrap this up, folks, I want to encourage everyone who's within the sound of my voice to pray continually. This is a powerful weapon in this spiritual battle. You know, we've lost people from our congregation when I've preached a message like this. Never seen them again. I hope that some of you aren't in that camp. I pray that you're not. I'm not trying to drive anybody away. I'm trying to preach the Word of God. It's one of the hardest things that I've ever done in my life. It's one of the most difficult things that anybody can do if they do it in God's will and His by His Spirit. I want us to pray Almighty God will lead His people to stand in this battle to defend the most vulnerable. I want us to pray for mothers who have chosen abortion. I want us to pray for forgiveness and comfort for them. I watched what happens when abortion takes place. I know the pain. I have seen it with my own eyes. And I know these women need to be comforted. As much as we may hate that sin, we need to come alongside of the people and help them to get through it. We need to pray for the Supreme Court justices to overturn this ungodly ruling that has caused millions of deaths. We need to pray for Almighty God to have mercy on the souls who participate in this every day. Every day. Pray for the mothers who believe this is their only choice. That they could see that it isn't. Ask God to comfort and nurture them and and to give them peace. That they, like so many other mothers, can celebrate Mother's Day with all of their children. Amen? Let's pray. Dear God, I pray that I have brought Your Word as clearly and concisely as possible. I pray, Father, that our hearts would be open to receive it. That Your message of truth would guide us to pray continually, to pray without ceasing, to beg Your mercy, to beg Your favor. Father, we know this is a powerful weapon in this spiritual battle. Help us, Lord. Lead Your people to stand in this battle to defend the most vulnerable. God, help the mothers who have chosen abortion. Guide these Supreme Court justices to overturn this 
ruling that has caused so many deaths. God, have mercy on the souls who participate in this practice every day. Help the mothers who believe this is their only choice. Comfort and nurture them and give them peace, Lord. And help all of us to remember that without our mother choosing life, we would not exist. I pray this all in Christ's name and all of God's people said, Amen. Now next week, I'd, I'd like you to be here as we kick off the series that I actually wrote notes on in 2009, but it fits with where we are in the world today. And the title of the series is The Battle Belongs, or Battles the Lord's. Either way, it's fitting. So if you can, please be here as we kick that off. Thank you.